where we talk about things with one super special guest every week. Just sit back, relax, and hear us speak on This Is Happening, the podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to This Is Happening. This is Nathan Streifel. And this is Eric Morris. Hello, listeners. Today, we have a rare treat, a real special treat. We have a truly accomplished veteran casting director who is responsible for, you know, just a lot of television history. Jeff Greenberg, Emmy-winning casting director behind uh, the... More than half of Cheers, uh, Frasier, Modern Family, My So-Called Life, Ugly Betty, Wings, Ugly Betty, so many things. Uh, also some films, we'll get into the details, but what an honor and a privilege. I've known Jeff kind of tangentially through our dear friend, Doug Buden, one of the one of my favorite people I've ever met. And if you haven't listened to Doug Buden's episode yet, go back, go to back in the archives. Find Doug Buden's He's a name. treat. He's amazing. But he is the he made this happen just by saying like, "Oh, I had such a good time on Eric's podcast," and uh, and then and Jeff was so generous to join us. Jeff, welcome. Thank you, boys. So happy to be here. <laughs> Thanks for coming. I've been looking forward to it. I'm, we're so happy to have you. When when uh, Eric told me that you were going to be on the podcast, I was like, "Oh my god, yes, 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 amazing." When I heard about it from Doug, it just sounded like a fun thing to do, and I don't get to see Eric enough. <laughs> and this was just an excuse to get another glimpse. Oh well, the, I, I that is, I feel the same. I love seeing you whenever we get a chance to see yeah, each we other. We always have fun don't through we? Doug. We we always enjoy each other. Um, have you ever have you ever done a podcast before? I have. Oh, cool. Of course, I have my friend Rory O'Malley has a. He's an actor. He's an actor, and he was nominated for a Tony for Book of Mormon. Cool. He played the king in Hamilton. He was on Broadway, and he did the tour here. He was at the... On and off. And he has an interesting podcast. Uh, What's it called? It's about people in the business, mostly actors, Mm -hmm. but how you survive being in the business. How to, you know, how to keep making your life work whether you get actual employment or not yeah and you know mine was mine was a little bit of a annex to all that because I didn't talk so much about that sure he talked mostly about just behind the scenes of what I do the the casting thing but uh, he's got a wonderful uh, cast of characters because he he's you know so hooked in to the theater, and it's it's very theater based. But now a lot of people that have done a lot of television, and all you know, he's very close with Andrew Rannells, whose career has really taken off. Mm-hmm. So he talks about. I love Andrew Rannells, and I see him all the time. <laughs> I just see oh, him everywhere. Does really? he live in LA? No, I. Uh, you know, I've seen. I just oh, we we go to some of those same the places. Jets are always in we the go same. to Elton John's Oscar party. I saw him in Fire Island over the summer. Fancy, <laughs> very fancy. I live a very fancy life, Jeff. Yes. Have you ever been? Have you ever been fed up with the entertainment industry, working in it for so long, or has it always kind of been a place? It was that you've much enjoyed? when I was I was an actor for ten years before I got into casting, mm-hmm. and it was it was mostly in the theater. Mostly in the theater, but I was here, so I really wanted to be working more in television and film, and uh, I barely 
scratch the living. You know, I would, you know, uh, but I, I did enough theater. I did one of the last jobs I had was I was in the national tour of Whose Life Is It Anyway, that play mm-hmm. with Brian Bedford. And it was a great tour. I was on the road for six months. Mm. And I, I remember I saved $8,000 and I lived off that for the next year. Wow. Back when you could do that. When you could do that. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I didn't work, meaning I didn't work for one day for an entire year after working every day for six months. That's that's incredible. Isn't what was it? it like to take a year off? And well, it wasn't taking. A year I guess off. it wasn't. It was you were was the opposite. It was yeah. I mean, stress. No, and I was no, I was I was doing job jobs. I didn't work as an actor. I I would went back to waiting tables gotcha. and doing all the other stuff. Gotcha. But and that was out here. It was out here. Yeah. And that was the end of the. Acting. When did you move out here? When was that? The moment I was, you know. Uh, arrived on this earth was in Los Angeles because I'm a native. You're a native. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you, everything was here. Where, everything were, you, where was. were you born? Well, you know the Scientology building? The, the big blue the, one? The big blue one. Yeah. That was Cedars of Lebanon Hospital. And you were born in the... You were born, born in the in now Scientology all, building? All Jewish babies in the 50s in Los Angeles were born there. Because <laughs> it was and before Cedars-Sinai. It was before it, it yeah. moved to Cedars-Sinai when they upgraded yeah. And abandoned wow. that, and then Scientology bought that building. Oh, and I say it it blue. It wasn't blue when I was born there, but that's where I was born. That's crazy. Ever drive by and think, wow, weird. Now you'll there. think something else. That I crazy Jeff Greenberg zoomed that crazy. <laughs> All of the Jewish yeah. people I know around yeah. your age that are from here, I'll be like, oh. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so born and raised here and loved growing up here. Yeah. And did you go to college here too? I went to UC Irvine in Orange County. Okay. So, nearby. So, yeah, 45 minutes away. Did you have siblings? I did and do. Good, 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 good. Yes, I'm the oldest of three. I have a sister, Jill, who lives in San Diego with her family. She's a commercial interior designer. I have a brother, Greg, who's 10 years younger than me, who lives with his family in Seattle. He's a family oh, psychologist. Nice. And uh, so we're all on the left coast. That's awesome. I love Seattle. I'm from oh. Washington State. So. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's one of the great cities. I've been there l- probably a hundred times over the years. He's been there a long time. And there's never stuff to... R- he never runs out of stuff. Mm. Great stuff to do. Mm-hmm. It's really... I've never been. It's, oh, it's, it's I must go. It's really... There's I should go with you, so much. You would probably be a great tour. Oh, the food, the seafood, the, the outdoors. Food. Yeah. And I really want to go. The, the arts... Yeah, it's gorgeous there. It's but it's rainy. It's gray. It's a little overcast. I'm not moving there. Yeah, I know, but it's the only downside. The summers are like gorgeous for a few day. Not, but it's not a whole summer that's gorgeous. There's like a good month or two. It's not LA, that's for sure. I live here for a reason. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I hear you. So, so after college, you. Did you study acting? Um, I did. I was. A, I graduated with an acting degree. And you lived in the dorms and stuff. And I lived did in the, the dorms life. for two years, mm-hmm. and then I moved to Balboa Island. Oh, yeah. I've never heard of that. Oh my god! It's off the coast. I, you know, it I is. know it. Sure. Yeah, it's a cute little island. It's like living at Disneyland because all the little, all the little uh, homes were like these tiny, cute little. Seaside. Adorable. Is it connected by road? It's connected by a bridge. 
Oh, so you can drive And on a off. very long way, if you go way around, I think it's by road. No, or not even. I don't really like um, Irvine, but I think that um, Balboa Island it was is really cute. quite nice. You know, in the sun, right this, is, this is a long time ago, obviously. When I lived there... You know, the summer months are hugely popular tourist month, and whatever we and we could only live where we lived for nine months of the year, but because so what they made a week during the summer months, we paid a month, and I remember the first year I was there were four of us in a four bedroom house, and we each paid sixty two fifty a month. Wow. So, <laughs> and then the second year, I had one of the most expensive apartments of anyone I knew. The two of us in a two-bedroom place each paid ninety-one fifty a month. Wow! But then, so it was like you know, two about a little less than two hundred. And this a month. is this and is a different time. It was a different time. But that, at that point, it was a lot of money. But I was wondering too because like I wasn't out in college. I was very closeted, dated women. I I don't know about your same yeah same. I, I would figure. Yeah, I was I was not out. Were you dating women? Uh, I was sleeping with some women more than dating them. Sure. Ooh, see, and I was dating more than sleeping with. And then I was, but, <laughs> but I did. I, I didn't come out, but I did enter my first significant relationship while in college. But it was very secretive. Yeah, it was the first. When when was this time period? Well, you're asking him to age. To date well, no, I, I, to ask, I just wanted a little <laughs> this is, Oh, this. yeah. This uh, was in the early 70s. Okay, yeah. That's way different yeah. time period. And uh, it, it lasted a couple of years. It was the first love of my life. And That's so nice. It was, it was, was very it, powerful. Were you, back then in like college, would, were, you, were people coming out? Did you know openly no, gay people it, at all? No, and I was in the middle of the drama department. It was very, it was very few out gay. So men. it wasn't really even a consideration of like I but, need to come out. But pe- no, not no, not to come out. But I, I think you know people would have ways to find each other. I mean, you like, I, but maybe I, parties or or bars or maybe they did. I wasn't a part of that at all. Yeah, and they, you know, only with and it was you know with my closest friend who we sort of found each other after being best friends we'd ever had our whole lives for you know a couple of years Mm -hmm. it just happened one night and it was we bizarrely enough we didn't even consider ourselves gay we thought we were sort of an exception to the rule Mm. that we found something so extraordinary and we weren't interested in participating in any other gay part of our lives except our secret you know you just had this little world together you know like yeah we did like this is magical and we didn't really want to be it happened one night and you both kind of went went in well at the time what did that even mean what i mean why would you want to and it you know just like that's what i always thought like you know when my parents would say you know like you know this is a choice you know like or whatever i was just like why would i choose this like I knew that you would have a problem with it. And, like, society is... It's not easy. Like, why would I choose it? This is just how I feel and who I am. Right. You know? Um, and obviously that was, a, you know, a revelation that you had over time. Um, you know, after that initial relationship. That's nice that you had that, though, that early. Yeah, I was, I was fortunate to have it. it. It ended very badly. Oh, dear. And, you know, 
I was abandoned and really I didn't know how to cope with it because I had not one person in my life to talk to about oh, it. Oh, you couldn't say anything. I had no uh, friends, family. It was secret. I was, you know, I wasn't in any sort of therapy or any, I just didn't have, and I, 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 I thought I was going to explode and sometimes I, were you still in college, or was it after? No, it was, it was after, after, right after. But I, I, I sometimes can't believe that I didn't really end it all. It was that devastating to me, and I, oh, I was so the combination of the, of the sadness and also not being able to express it or know how to handle it. Yeah, or have any way to anywhere process to it. Exactly, nowhere. But I sort of. Because I survived it, I grew up about it, and I learned a lot about relationships. I got way stronger, and it sort of made me into an adult in a weird way. Mm -hmm. It was—I would not recommend it to anyone. It was the worst thing ever. It was one of the worst times of my life, and I was right after I graduated school. I was living with my folks back in Los Angeles for a while. Um. Wait a second. Because I had, uh, yeah, I was living with them for a while, and I got hepatitis, and so I was really I was sick at home and sort of in quarantine because it was considered very, mm. uh, what's the word? Communicable. Uh, was it? Yeah. Contagious? Was contagious. it like sexual hepatitis or was it? Well, that's how I probably got it. Yeah. But what is, said, did you have symptoms like? You were, uh, yeah, I was jaundiced, and oh. you know, and I was exhausted all the time, mm-hmm. and I would sleep all day, and then I couldn't sleep at night. So I was like, t- you know, taking Valium, and that wasn't working, so I had to take more. Right. And I was all in my room all the time, and thinking about this horrible emotional mm. collapse. Uh, it was the having worst. hepatitis on top of all of that does not sound like the all of it thing was. Ever. It was. What's the opposite of a perfect storm? Yeah, and it was it was a crucible, but you um, but you survived. survived. I survived it and ca- and came out stronger for it. Mm. I but recently was... got a hepatitis shot. My doctor like checked yeah. my blood and was like, I don't know, random. Made me think of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, good. It's a <laughs> smart thing. Yeah. Well, if you if you don't know if you're updated on your hepatitis vaccine. Listeners, uh, check in with your public doctor. service announcement. It's a public service yeah. announcement. Why not? Yeah, why not? Absolutely. Sure. So anyway, but that that was you know I've had really two two significant relationships. That was the first, and when it was great, it was really great, and then it got bad. And then I had uh, minor relationships over the years until I met my now husband, right. Lars. So how did you meet Lars? I met him at a bar. Here in L.A. Uh, here in Which L.A. Bar, do you remember? Yes. Yeah. It's it was across from where the Groundlings is on Melrose, uh-huh. and, and yeah. it used to be called the One Bar. I don't know if you were mm. here yet. Mm-hmm. It was it was. But I've heard of it. It was a the sign was a big neon number one in front. That's all the signage was. Mm. And since then, then it, after that, it was called the Santa Fe Bar. When remember when Santa Fe was sort of a style, a mm-hmm. design style. Uh-huh. It was all that with those white <laughs> skulls. Uh-huh. Yeah, right. Af- <laughs> white skulls. So exactly. it was one bar, then that. Then it was a sports bar. Then it was a restaurant called Metro. Then it was a gems store. Mm. Then it was uh, called the Gig. Now it's called the Spotlight. 
No, now it's then it was the spotlight. Then it was the dark. Now it's the dark room. It's been about eight. Oh, I've been there. Yes, it's like a little clubby. Yeah, it's very dark now. Well, dark room. That makes sense. Yeah, it's like all black paint. Lars and I want to just go put a little plaque in front. That you you should have a plaque. I agree. They should have a wall of celebrities. You know, it's funny because actually, uh, friends of mine, uh, their parents met at a um, bar called the Ginger Man in New York. Oh yeah, Um, it was Carol O'Connor's bar. Not Carol O'Connor. Well, maybe it was. It was Patrick O'Neill's bar. That's right. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Why did I think Carol O'Connor? Well, maybe O'Neill similar names. O'Connor. Um, but yeah. Yeah, so, you're right. You're right. And uh, his brother Michael O'Neill was a very good friend of the, who who continued owning it long after Patrick passed away. Um, continued, uh, but he was very good friends with this couple who had met at the bar. Like he bought her a drink. In the '60s, and they did put a plaque, you know, oh. because it's, their friend was the owner. So there's like a little plaque on the bar. Although it then became called O'Neill's, I think it still exists. I think that plaque is still there. That's cool. That's yeah. really cool. It's nice. Yeah, <laughs> it just made me think of it because like that's the place. Yeah, you know, like, we'd have to sort of stick sh- it up there. On the <laughs> you and they have go, to... What's that? <laughs> 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 yeah, absolutely. So. Um, <laughs> But because you said like you've been together like thirty some odd years, thirty four years, thirty four years, amazing. Were you were you out then, or was it kind of um, you started dating and then? No, I was out. Yeah, yeah. I I by then, of course. I came out, you know, more in my twenties and all. And right, 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 right. Yeah, for sure. It took me until I was doing more. Just a, just a splash. Just a tiny little splash. Listeners, you're probably very well aware. We always drink sparkling rosé on these podcasts. Not always. Sometimes Not we have always. coffee. Yeah, sometimes if we're we doing do the daytime the ones. <laughs> um, so, yes. Uh, well, so, I, I think that just so, it's just so admirable. I love, you know, seeing gay couples that have stood the test of time you know, it's not easy, and the time, the times in which that you, you know, mm-hmm. met each other and everything you've been through, and I don't know, just the whole AIDS epidemic and just everything. You know, I mean, you survived and you're together, right? And you got married when it was legal, yeah. Once it became legal, right? Um, I just think it's great. I love it. I, I celebrate do, it. I do too. Thank you. I thank you. I mean, even when I was growing up, there I didn't have any really examples of gay relationships in my youth. So when I meet people that have, like, long-term couples that are gay, it's really nice. And it's nice to see that and have a little bit of being able to feel like that's something that is possible and is a representation and all you know, of those I mean, things. You know, it's interesting. I grew up in this little, you know, very privileged um, bubble um, called Sneedon's Landing in New York. Um, you know, there was a lot of celebrities like that lived there, like Bill Murray and Al Pacino and Mikhail Baryshnikov, but it was more storied in the past with like Noel Coward and other, and, wow. and Vivian Lee and, and, uh, uh, Gertrude Lawrence and you know all, all these people whoever um, Catherine Hepburn was a guest in, in the house that I grew up in did you ever meet her? once yes because she was lost we weren't in this house yes, yet but I was walking on the road with my mom and this car stopped and the back window 
you know, there was a chauffeur-driven car, the back window rolled down, and this, you know, old woman, you know, Where do I like, get it's like, do you know where Brenda Forbes lives? And, you know, my, um, because we're all, we're all turned around, and, uh, and my mother directed her down the hill to where, very soon after we ended up moving um, to this house, but... Um, and then she turned to me and she said, that was perhaps the greatest living actress. We didn't know who she was. Alive. Well, I mean, I was very young. I was like seven or eight. You and know? you didn't know who she was? Well, no, I think, I, I, I think it was, I learned who she was when On Golden Pond came out when I was like 10. Um, and then I, I'm obsessed with her. I mean, I've read everything about her. She's amazing. She's my favorite. Uh, but that was the one time I saw her in person. Um, I don't know why I mentioned No, the, why I'm mentioning it is because that particular neighborhood, there were many gay couples that lived there. Wow. Um, oh, while you were growing up? Yes. That's oh, that's incredible. great. They, like, old lesbian couples, they were more closeted. They, you know, it was always just like, this is my friend who lives, she lives with me. Um, but... <laughs> <laughs> But there were also, but there were out open gay couples, and you know, it's to me, it's really a shame that you know my parents, who socialized with these people, weren't able to accept the fact that their son was gay when I came out to them, even though we were surrounded by gay couples who were living their lives, and you know, and they were very liberal, and they were like, you know, but they just that's not what they wanted for me. Uh, Sob, sob. What whatever. did your parents do? <laughs> they were, they cried. You know, when I came out to them, sort of during this period where I was so upset at home with, mm-hmm. with uh, hepatitis and being in the darkest days of my life, I, you know, I told them I was bi because I right. thought that, and I sort of thought maybe I was. Mm-hmm. And did you tell them so you were upset about the end of a relationship? No, with no, no. You I, didn't tell no, them. No, no, I didn't. And, um, and they were, you know, they said, well, we thought that there was that possibility, but there was tears in their eyes and all. And then it was uncomfortable for a while. And then once my dad voiced something like that, he's, he, he said, I just don't know what your life is. And that like scares me and I took out my uh, this is, I was an actor at the time and you know I took I said here's a typical week and I took out my little appointment book and it was just filled with classes and work schedules like this is it's nothing life. special yeah. yeah but you know it was at a time where the only news on television whenever there would, would be they'd show you know drag queens or guys in leather you know s right. it was like and they didn't know any better. My father was in the furniture business and knew gay interior designers mm, mm-hmm. and all. And yet, uh, he didn't, he just, his head, maybe this is just a parental thing because you worry about your kids. It just went to a, like, whatever I was doing was it was dangerous. Mm. And am I not going to be happy in my future? Will I not, will I be alone? Will I, you know... My parents had the same fears, yeah. you know. And um, I understand it. Yeah. Yeah, when I came out, my mom goes, I feel like I have a, a whole different son. And yeah. it was kind of a 
I was like, I'm the same person, Mom. But I think she just had an idea of what she thought that my life was going to be. I think their hopes for you are, you know, for, for ones. So I, a parent's hope for their child is that they have everything good that could possibly happen. Yes. And my mom thinks they thought it was, was limited. Like, then yeah. it limits you. I, this, I think that my, my parents' my hopes and dreams, especially my mom's, you know, got very, very specific. It was like, I want you to go to this kind of college. I want you to become a lawyer. I want you to go into politics. I want you to be president. I want you to marry this person and have these children. It was very, very specific. Her dreams. And I dashed them by coming out as gay and, like, and not going to law school. I'll vote for you as president if you ever run. All of those things. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Nathan. I can start there. <laughs> is this an announcement? It, it is not. No, no it's definitively not. But, uh, but, yeah, so, all right. So you spent some time acting, touring, at, you know, and, and doing musicals, some yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah. like... Um, what musical? So you're a singer. Yeah, I did a lot of musical theater. I was. Were you in Pippin? I was never in Pippin. I would have loved <laughs> to have been in Pippin. I love Pippin. I love Pippin too. But no, I was like in you know summer stock and dinner theater things like which shows I do, Funny Girl, Finian's Rainbow, mm-hmm. uh, Guys and Dolls, yeah, fun, Pajama Game, classics. You know, and skipping ahead. This past summer... I did hear about this. Did you hear about this? I did. No, I haven't. Well, what is it? Have you ever heard of Sacramento Music Circus? It's a summer stock company up in Sacramento, Theater in the Round. Mm -hmm. Uh, It used to be a tent, thus Music Circus. Now it's a building. And it's it's... They do six musicals every summer. And when I was an actor, I auditioned for it every year and never even got a call back. And very, it's equity contract and everybody, it was a good job to get. And I was desperate to, you know, get those jobs. I worked there, but I never did. Well, a friend of mine is now one of the artistic directors, this great guy who I've known for a long time named Glenn Casal. And he always says, because my hiatus happened every, with my schedule in television, I usually have April, May, June, and part of July off. Mm. Every year, which right. is fantastic. Yeah. And he says... Kind of like a school teacher. Totally. Yeah. And he said, you know, he's always said, Jeff, you have to come to a show one of these years. It would be so great. We'd laugh about it. Wouldn't that be hilarious and all? Well, this year he calls me and goes, Jeff, do you want to be in Gypsy? Ah, yes! <laughs> and I went, yes, please. <laughs> and I went, <laughs> and... I had to renew my membership in Actors' Equity on on withdrawal. (laughs) It's not expired. On withdrawal since 1983. So the name was still on the books. It's in the books. I had to pay like one, (laughs) you know, half year of dues. And I had to... What are dues these days now for uh, Actors' Equity? Uh, Well, what was it? You know, I don't even know. They took it out of my paycheck. A couple hundred dollars or something. At the most. Yeah. Anyway, they didn't even charge me uh, the $100 reinstatement fee because I only joined for two weeks and then went on withdrawal again. They went, oh, you don't have to pay that. And I went and I was in a fantastic production of one of my 
favorite shows of all time, Gypsy. That's amazing. What did you play? I played Mr. Goldstone. Okay. As in, have an egg roll, Mr. Goldstone. Right. <laughs> Wait, I, what part of the musical does that happen? Uh, in the first scene. act. It's early. It's yeah. early when they're getting all kinds of different jobs. Yeah, they're getting, they're making their way, you know, mm-hmm. in business. And he gives them their first significant job. Mr. Goldstone gives them a job on the Orpheum Circuit, which is theaters all around the United States. Right. It was and a they, big break. Yeah, this is when they're still kids, and she's still oh, yeah. around. Yeah, yeah, they're, yeah. They're not the Baby young. June. Yeah, Dainty June. Da- oh, Dainty. So, they're already the older version okay. of the kids. In fact, it's right after that crossover. Scene where that brilliant, the most genius age. moment in the whole, they age during a strobe light yeah, musical yeah. number. Oh, yeah. Where at the beginning they're I, young and at the end they're older. I've only ever seen the movie. I've never seen it. Oh, oh. then you then you haven't seen Gypsy. I saw Bernadette Peters do it. Me too. I saw Time Daily do Me it. Me too. Unfortunately, did not. That's it. I think I saw Angela do it. Oh, well, um, that's amazing. I, I had tickets to Patty, and then she had to close a little early. Mm. So, do they cast three, three actors for the the girls? Two, two. Yeah. Oh, so they do the small baby bit. June and Dainty June, and so then the older adults yeah. come. In anyway, there. I got to do it, and here's the thing: what when I auditioned for it before, when I was an actor, I desperately needed that job for my insurance weeks to yeah. make a living, to feel like an actor. I didn't need this job. No, and it it was a sublime experience. Who gets to revisit a passion from their past? What a special thing. I love it. It was, and it was a great production. And I would just sit in the theater all day and listen to the score during rehearsals and watch it. And because it was in the round, I'd sit in a different seat every day. And I was in hog heaven. Did you know of any of the actors? Or the, had, had any of them crossed your radar? Well, do you know who Carolee Carmelo is? I do, of course. She played Rose. Oh, perfect. And oh I even God. hired her before for an episode of Frasier. She was in Cats. She was? I think she was in Cats. They were Quite making awesome. Cats. They and should. I believe, weirdly, I was working on this TV show. I don't know what. That's not a very good story. But I was working on this TV show... In New York, and the producers, people were coming from all over the country, and they're like, "We need forty tickets to something on Broadway, you know, for everyone to go see." For like, and I was like, "What?" It was like that, and it was like in two weeks. I was like, "You're insane!" And I was working in the theater at the time, but what I was able to get was cats. And so, <laughs> but people brought their kids and oh. Carolee Carmelo, I believe, was playing Grisabella at the time. That's I the part think. she would have played. And and so we went backstage. She was lovely. She's the greatest. One of the people on the show knew her. She did like, she painted the kids' faces. Oh. Like she was so sweet. Uh, we really bonded and I knew her a little before because I had hired her. And it was really... It was really something special for me to do. It was just the how most... long? How long had it been since you were on stage? Since 1982. <laughs> oh my gosh! Did you have any nerves at all, because or was it just? Like... I I was nervous, thinking I would have a lot of nerves, and I dissuaded a lot of people, including Doug Buden, from coming to see it. So he didn't go. Because he, he would have gone. gone. Yes, he would have, and others. And I I was ner- I thought, what if I'm not good? What if I'm so nervous? And I wasn't nervous at all. Oh, good. At all. That's amazing. Because I, I had nothing at stake. I didn't have to please the 
director and producer, so they'd hire me again. And right. I, it. I just did my show, and I got back into the frame of mind as an actor. It was interesting looking at it with my different eyes now from, you know, because I do a whole other thing. And uh, it was, I found it very creative and it was just delicious. It was great. It was, I I was thrilled that they asked and that it turned out so well. That's amazing. How nice. What a special experience. Yeah, it was. Because it was right after that, so 82, 83, that's when you started getting into casting. How did that happen? You started working as a casting assistant. Yeah, when I was an actor, I had a great job down at the Mark Taper Forum at the Music Center. Mm. My acting teacher, Gordon Hunt, was the casting director there. Mm. And he told me about that they were looking for a production assistant for this Christopher Hampton play called Savages. And yes. I, you know, he told me about it. And I went and I interviewed with the stage managers and I got the job. And it, then for the next five years, I worked solidly between acting jobs, which was all the time, because I worked very little as an actor. Mm-hmm. I worked as the extra person at the Mark Taper Forum. I worked in every department whenever they needed someone. I worked in publicity when Zoot Suit was a huge hit at the Aquarius and they needed more hands. I would be a PA for this, a house manager for that. I'd fill in for people when they were on vacation. I worked in audience development. I worked in reception. I worked in casting. So great. And one of the casting directors, Linda Francis, she left the taper. She went to cast movies. And I would fill in for her occasionally when she needed someone to do a day. We stayed friends. One day she called and said, I just got a big movie. It was the first movie for New World Pictures called Angel. Honor student by day, Hollywood hooker by night. It's <laughs> <laughs> as classy as you get. She said, do you want to be my assistant? My assistant's not available. Sounds like a Maureen McCormick vehicle. <laughs> she did something like that, I think, as a TV. A uh, TV it was movie. like a Donna Wilkes was the lead, <laughs> but Dick Sean was in it, Susan Terrell was in it, oh, Rory Calhoun was in fantastic. it. Fantastic. And it was a Scale Plus 10 movie, and Oops. I said, sure. And... Uh, on that first day, I not only loved it, I got it. And for some reason, it was, I mean, it was like yesterday. It was like Alice through the looking glass. She opened a door, I walked through, and I just knew how to do it. Everything I had learned as an actor and in the theater and everything I had memorized my whole life. Because I would look at end credits of every TV show I ever watched. Yeah, me too. I was glued to the television every possible moment of my life. I knew every name. I just knew them. Yeah. I'd read those old theater world books with the smallest possible font on earth. And I, without trying, memorized them. I just knew actors. Mm. And I just segued into something I never even dreamed I'd do, and I never acted again. I have saved the playbill from every show I've ever seen. That's my kind of guy. <laughs> they're all, I can't they're all in my nightstand. Shit. I mean, not everything on Broadway I've ever seen. Yeah, not yeah, every yeah. little, like, I used to keep fly by I ran out of room and tossed it. I tried purposely not to be a collector. Well, but you I know what? To... I mean, I, I would like to throw everything I own away, but... Um, as my father just sold this house that um, that Catherine Hepburn used to go to, um, you know, one of the several trips back I took to like move things out, like I had 
it in the nightstand in my room there, I had all the the Broadway stuff I'd seen since the seventies. Must so, be a big nightstand. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was. Um, so I did actually like I like. Weeded out duplicates, and uh, I was like, "All right, I'm going to take these." And yeah. now, then, now they're here. Oh, that's awesome! Oh, isn't that nice? That's a nice. Little <laughs> that's something good to keep. Well, yeah, I mean, it's just like the Wiz. I saw the Wiz in 1975 when I was five years old. I still have that playbill. You know, I I saw you know Dreamgirls and. Did you see Jennifer Holiday? Yes, that's she. Uh, so not cool. only did I see her, but then, it's my friend Seth. Uh, his father, Marvin Krauss, was the general manager for that, and she came and performed at his bar mitzvah. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my so I saw her god. like on Broadway, and then she also sang. And I'm telling you, not going at his bar mitzvah <laughs> at the Water Club in New York. Crazy, crazy. Did you have a bar mitzvah? Of course. Temple Emanuel, Beverly Hills. <laughs> what was it like? Was it cool? Did you have a theme? I called it a motif, and it was blue and green. <laughs> that oh, was the I mean, theme. My favorite um, bar mitzvah theme story was is Doug Budens, who was sports. sports. <laughs> <laughs> like he knew nothing about any sport, but it was like hockey and football and just like that was his father trying to make something happen yeah (laughs) do you ever go to the synagogue anymore i don't yeah i don't i never really felt very connected to it Mm. ever right and i spent a lot of years in hebrew school boy and i even afterwards i stayed in uh, religious school once a week and was confirmed Mm -hmm. so it was but i i just we and my family used to go to high holy day services, and then when I what are the high holy days? Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, right. which are the big ones that you show up for. Big ones. Yeah, gotcha. and then they started just listening to them. They were going to please their parents. They didn't really want to go. They didn't feel connected, and I was going because I had to. to please from that. And I went. Well, this is why should I keep going? Yeah. Well, after you know, I moved out and graduated and. If I, I'm not feeling it, and they, how, why would they care if I go? They, they don't want to go. Right. And I just, and I just no, totally I go. So I, when I started theater, I remember I was, I was like, this is my church. This is my community. This was what I feel like right. I get my. Yeah, I mean, my mother declared. You know, they, my parents got married in St. Saint Pat, Saint Patrick's Cathedral. Um, you know, it was a beautiful place. They got married three days after Kennedy was shot, so it was filled with mourners. Um, Weird. It, you know, and and so, but they got married in a little like side chapel. Side chapel, and their their chapel was flooded with people because people were just like mourning throughout the Ugh. cathedral. And then they saw this wedding happening, but but my mother told the priest that she was an atheist, you know, and so they had to get married off the altar, which was, I mean, was a huge scandal. And yeah, know, of course. All. So I didn't really. I, I mean, we went to Presbyterian church because there was one in the neighborhood, um, but mainly just on Christmas Eve. And yeah. now I actually kind of really enjoy that same church in Sneedon's Landing. I do. A, I go to a Christmas Eve 
um, service that starts at 11 p.m. and ends at midnight with a bell ringing ceremony um, that's, you know, it's Christmas. And I like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I actually sang in that choir for a little bit. Um, I like that. That's all I need to do. I, I don't even need to do that, really. But, you know, I, I, I don't know. If, if I weren't there, I'm not going to some other church. Right. I don't feel a connection to it either. I don't think that... I don't need a building or a priest or a reverend or anything to feel connected to whatever my belief is and whatever the universe is, God, whatever you want to call it. You know, I just don't need that. Yeah. I don't need that formal thing. So I don't do it. So New World Pictures. Mm. Um, and then you ended up working on Top Gun. I did. I was, I worked as a, with this my friend Linda, for about three years. We worked on eight or nine movies, and I also worked as a casting assistant on Top Gun during that period of time. How I don't even. Someone recommended me to the casting director. Who was that? Her her name was Margie Simpkin. Okay. And uh, obviously huge at the time. Huge at the time, and uh, it was a. Big learnings. It was a bad experience because she did not treat me very nicely. Oh, some people are horrible. She was really horrible. Uh-huh. But it was the last, turned out to be the last job I had in that capacity before I got my big break on Cheers. And what I learned from her was how not to treat an employee. Because mm. I had never had, and I never had an assistant or associate before any sort of employee. And I learned. I just remembered all the things I hated, and I didn't do those things. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, I've worked with a lot of casting directors over the years. You know Mary Cahoon? Sure. Very the famous. Late, the late Mary Cahoon. The late great Mary Cahoon. Amazing. So, like, I, when, I, you know, when I was working in New York and uh, working on a TV show and some theater and some things, we, we rented office space in this Broadway theatrical producers' offices um, in the Actors' Equity Building on 46th mm-hmm. Street. And Mary Cahoon was also renting space there. And so I didn't really work with her, but I was I was managing actors and doing a lot of different things, But and I would see her every day. She was amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, she had cast Legends of the Fall, and she, um, at the time, she was casting Picture Perfect with Jennifer Aniston and The Associate with Whoopi Goldberg. And she just had, like, the best actors in New York coming through the office all the time. Um, and was just, you know, really lovely. But she and other casting directors I've worked with all treated their associates and anyone they're come in contact with in a very lovely way. You know, just like, because you get more out of that. Like, yeah, like, I think that's the way to do it. Well, with, it's definitely the way any, to do it. With anything. With anything. So many people are not like that in, in well, Hollywood. This was, but, yeah. this was uh, Did you get things thrown in your face or something? Just, just, but Take just this like, sandwich you know, back. No, but I know a, a, an assistant after me got thrown <gasps> pens at her. That's not, that is not any place oh, it was, you know, to want to be. Or be. It was crazy. What's the difference between TV and film casting? Well, acting? so what, what I'm interested in, too, I mean, that's the same question, but, like, I mean, I do want to know that. That's a very good question. But I'm just wondering, like, how you went from being the casting assistant on Top Gun to then 
taking over the casting as the primary casting director on Cheers in his fifth season. Well, uh, the producers of Cheers, I, I took it over in the fifth season, fifth actually. Season. Okay. The producers of Cheers, David Lee and Peter Casey, were friends of mine. And they had taken over the year before the reigns of the you show. You made friends with Charles well. Bros. Charles. I had done summer stock with David Lee in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And Perfect. Actors. Perfect. And they, they <laughs> here's the genius of Charles Burroughs Charles, who created Cheers. Yeah. They wanted, they were firing their casting That's director. Jimmy Burroughs and Jim, Les Charles. And Glenn Charles. And Glenn Charles. Yes. The creators of Cheers. They were firing their casting directors because they were seeing too many familiar faces uh, on their show. They were seeing actors they were seeing on lots of other TV shows and in commercials. And it was, they wanted fresher actors. Right. So they were firing that person. And I came from doing theater at the Mark Taper Forum because I, I did work there a lot in casting. Sure. And I worked for three years casting movies, even even though it was as the associate. And they wanted someone who was really fresh. And when I met them, all we did was talk theater. And they took a chance on me. I didn't even have a resume for, as a casting director. Hmm. But I, they could tell I was passionate about theater and loved theater. And you had an encyclopedic knowledge of I actors. did. And the first part I had to cast on Cheers was Cliff Clavin's mother. We had a casting session. And Francis Sternhagen. Right, I brought a casting, did a casting session. We found someone we were going to maybe use. And I said at the end of the session, or we could hire her. And I lifted up Francis Sternhagen's photograph. And all their jaws dropped. Charles Bros. Charles, they went, you can get her? You probably don't even know who she is. I have no idea. She's She's one of the great theater actresses of all time. Amazing. And they went, you can get her? And I went, yep. And they went, get her. And on that, that moment, I became their guy. Oh, yeah. It was like... Was she because so of, sought after that? She, no, no. It just but what it, what, they would. She's she was very well known at the time. She's a, an amazing actress, and you would think like she'll do this. Lots, of, lots, lots of film, like, lots of just. She was the, one of the great Broadway actresses. Lots of film roles. Yeah, in every movie that Mike Nichols or Sidney Lumet or mm. Sidney Pollack. Would direct. So as as TV producers, you would think we can't get her for this right. guest role. Gotcha. So um, my but so, you thought otherwise, yeah. and, and you then were, you were those, right. that's who I cast for the next seven years on the show were great actors from New York, and they had no qualms about flying in anyone. Dana Ivey and Boyd Gaines and uh, Eva Marie Saint. And did you would, know these people? Personally, at all, or did not you, at all. You just knew their work, yes, and you were like, they would be yes, perfect. because I would also go to the, I would go to New York every year and see everything. Gotcha. And I just knew theater actors, and a lot of them was from reading Theater World, you know. And I we or sometimes I would put actors on tape there, and you know if, and but they the, to them Glenn Les and Jimmy Charles Burroughs Charles those were the. They wanted them to be the stars of our show. Mm. Not that they were stars, but that's the caliber of actors. They wanted fresh faces. And I, before, now it's a little more de rigueur to get, you know, theater actors and all, and people that have won Tonys and all. But no one was doing that then. Right. We didn't pay 
very much money to the actors, but we flew them out. And we, we, and our show, Cheers, was the, they, they didn't want familiar faces. They yeah. fired the casting director for bringing in familiar TV faces. They wanted fresh actors, but great actors. Well, and it was right. a prestige television show. And it, it was like, the, you know, the, the leads on it were winning Emmys. You and know, we so made why all, wouldn't you yeah, want to do we it? We just made offers, you know, yeah. to, uh, to, to just uh, so many great actors over the years. I mean, Marsha Mason and Mercedes Rule and Nathan Lane. And, what a know. great first job in television to come into this. Because that was impeccably cast from the beginning. Whoever did that, whoever got fired, whenever they did well, like the pilot. He didn't do... The person that got fired was there for one year. Oh, okay. The, uh, Steve Kolzak, rest his soul, cast the pilot and the first two seasons. And then someone else did the third, someone else did the fourth. That person in the fourth got fired, and I took over in the fifth and stayed for seven seasons. Yeah. And out of that came Frasier, which was, right. you know, just so, a continuation of the... So, right. so Frasier was, was it mostly all the same? It was only Frasier. Well, Kurt, but like, as far Grammar as the production was team, in. was it just kind of all the David same David Lieb and Peter Casey and David Angel. Those, those people that hired you. Hired me... They left Cheers after they were there for a few years to create Wings, which, which, you I, also cast. which I cast. And then after Wings, after they created Wings and Cheers was ending, they came back. They wanted to do, uh, Kelsey wanted to do another show and right. they wanted to work with Kelsey and it became Frasier, which immediately followed Cheers. Right. So you were the one who like found. So that was kind of all yes. one full Jane kind Lee's. of flowing thing. Yes, I, and I John did. Mahoney. I yes, I did. We cheers about theater actors. I did Cheers for seven years and Frasier for eleven, and Wings was eight years in the middle of that. The last four years of Cheers was Wings, and the first four years of Frasier was Wings. So, eighteen years in a row, I was in the same office so at Paramount. Much. Having the best job ever. And all of that That's was so busy. Up casting two shows. Yeah. Yeah. I was casting up to three and four shows because right. I was doing other series. Yeah. But yeah, that cast of Frasier just, and it was the easiest pilot I ever did. Although we did make a replacement during a very famous. Lisa Kudrow. Yeah, we fired Lisa Kudrow during the pilot mm, yes, I rehearsal heard, week. I heard her, I heard her tell that story before. But then Which, she I mean, the happy, the happy ending was, is that was, she made a fortune. The on happiest friends. ending. It was a better part for her. She yeah. got way more famous than playing Roz. I read an interview with you when you talked about it, and it, what you said made a lot of sense. I mean, she is kind of like daffier, a little bit overlapping with what Jane Leaves does. Well, that's exactly right. And <clears throat> and you know, like she's hilarious, but not like. Someone that's gonna like, you know, stand up to Frasier, put, keep we, him in line. You know, when we did auditions for Frasier, you know, we, you know, you don't see the whole piece put together. Right. And when we did, we saw that, you know, Daphne Jane Leaves was a little daffy at home, and Lisa as Roz was a little daffy at work, just because that's what um. they're. Wheelhouse, and I'm sure they had some funny. And it didn't occur to they they no they didn't meet in the show. Oh, they didn't. Well, no, no, no. But but I mean, I'm sure that that Kelsey had funny chemistry with both of them. He did, but the thing is, it was the same. 
The show needed different tones they for the needed different settings. Different color. And Jim Burroughs, who directed the pilot, said, you know who you need in this part, uh, Roz's part, Lisa Kudrow's part? You need Perry Gilpin. He didn't know, because he wasn't a part of the casting of Frasier, that she was the runner-up. He, <laughs> he'd worked with her a couple times on some other pilots I had done that we cast Perry in. And he knew that she was, you know, a ballsy broad who could go toe-to-toe with Frasier and not let him off the hook, which was a different color, and the show needed that. And when he said, you know who you need, Perry Gilpin, we looked at each other like, well, that was our other choice. And we brought the two of them to the network, Perry and Lisa, and the Warren Littlefield chose Lisa. And she earned it. She was great. Yeah. But when we put the whole piece together, it, it just... It, it was off kilter. Hmm. Lisa did yeah. exactly what we hired her to do, so it was very painful to have to fire her. Yeah. Because she didn't do anything wrong. She was good, but she ended up not being right, right for the whole piece. She was right for the part, in theory. When someone doesn't work out, do you have to be the person that contacts that person, or is it removed well, a first, bit the, from you? To go through proper... Channels you call the agent and, and they or manager, they let them know. Right. I was, of course, friends with Lisa, so I called her after they made those calls to her mm. and apologized and tried to change. It was really painful and hard. We loved Lisa, mm-hmm. so it was a very dark day. And she, I mean, she was such a professional and took it, but it, I know it was devastating to her. Too. It was a big job to lose. I could, I you book a, a series regular on a show that's like. You feel like this is pretty much guaranteed to be a uh, That Kelsey Grammer <laughs> starting and having just been on it's like Cheers. The, the spin-off Frasier with this like script and this cast. And the, the, the rehearsals were... The table reading was like none I had ever been at before or since. I, I think maybe a sentence changed from the table reading by the time we shot the show. It just sort of was all there. I feel like like uh, John Mahoney is like a very Francis Sternhagen example. Totally. Like, something that you may have come up with because of seeing him in the theater. I saw him in House of Blue Leaves. Oh, genius. Um, with opposite uh, Swoozie Kurtz and Julie Haggerty and Stocker Channing. Like, th- that was one of the best things I'd ever seen right. anywhere. Right. Um, no, he he was the big get at the time. Yeah. And the, the, how that happened... He wasn't doing television, though. Well, they were writing Frasier, and he I hired him to guest star on Cheers. Oh, okay. This rinky-dink... Jingle writer named Saul Flembeck. Oh, Cy yeah. Flembeck. I remember I'm sorry. that now. And we flew, we he actually, ironically, do you know who Ronnie Graham was? He was yeah. a writer with Mel Brooks. He's one of the writers of of uh, um, what's the cowboy movie? Uh, uh, Blazing Saddles. Blazing Saddles. Mm. He was and he's was a Second City guy, and he we hired him for this part, and he freaked out on shoot night and left the lot and checked himself into the hospital with an anxiety attack. Oh my god. Oh so we god. had so we didn't shoot the scenes that night. I replaced him with John Mahoney who we flew out from Chicago based on House of Blue Leaves cuz he played sort of a yeah. a bad He was a jingle right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he did he was loving it, loving doing the show. Really connected with Kelsey and I said to John knowing that they had were just had just conceived the role of Fraser's father. And went, would you ever want to do a show like this, like as a regular? He said, if it's as good as Cheers, I would. So I went, oh, good to know. I ran out of the soundstage over to the Frasier writers. <laughs> We're literally working on that character. I go, 
John Mahoney said if it's as good as Cheers, he would be interested in doing this. What great this, timing as they're like conceiving they went, the character. Okay. So, so <laughs> they were that. putting together their pitch to take to the network the next day. Uh, when they went in, they said John Mahoney's the prototype. They went, we love John Mahoney. If you can get him, he's approved. They also said the same thing about David Hyde Pierce, who they had done a series well, with that makes NBC. It easy. Totally. But then you still have to offer it to those people. They have to like the script. But which this we process. did with which they did with we met with David Hyde Pierce. Uh, and we had didn't have a script yet. We just said we we're interested in you playing this part. It's, you know, he's he's too, you know. The only thing we can tell you is that Fraser is Freudian and Niles is Jungian. And David, to this day, will tell you, says, I had no idea what they were talking about. <laughs> I nodded. And by the time I got home, my agent said and called, they want to offer you the part. And he said, I'll take it. Because he was an, an out-of-work actor. Right. And we yeah, just, I've never heard We had seen that. him. Uh, when we had gone to New York, uh, David Lee, Peter Casey, and David Angel, and I, to do casting for Wings... Four years prior, uh-huh. we saw David in. Um, uh, in uh, Beyond Therapy on Broadway. Oh right! And we re- remembered him, and uh, Tony Shalhoub was also in that, who we cast on Wings. Anyway, we we remembered him, and he you know he looks like he's Kelsey's brother. So, that was such... I mean, the, and, and, the character of Niles was so um, inspired. And you know why it was inspired? When we realized that we weren't going to do the show with Lilith, B.B. Newworth. Right. Because she didn't really want to do it, and Kelsey didn't really want to do a Frasier-Lilith show. Yeah. Mm. We thought what was so brilliant about their relationship is they were cut from the same bolt of cloth, mm-hmm. Frasier and Lilith. So we thought, oh, what if Frasier has a brother that's cut from the same bolt of cloth? And they didn't, and the first thing went, oh, let's not do brothers again. We just did that on wings. But then they went, but those brothers are sort of opposite. These would be the same. It would be different. I mean, because he then, was basically Frasier, but way more so. Right. You know, like Niles. He, in, well, in, that's, you're actually quoted, he's more Frasier than Frasier. Right. Is what, the, so when <laughs> they met with him, when they concept. met, we met with him, we just went, there it is. And NBC went, we love David Hyde Pierce. He was on The Powers That Be, a show that failed with an exemplary cast. John Forsyth. It was about a Holland president. Taylor. Yes. Holland Taylor. Yeah. Up. She was yeah. the first lady. Yeah. And David was on that. Married to the first daughter of Valerie Mahaffey. Anyway, they, NBC went, we love him. So we had their you know, stamp of approval. So we offered the part to David. He hadn't read a script. He said yes. John Mahoney, we offered it to him. He said, I, I have to read a script. So we... So they flew to Chicago, the producers, in the Paramount private jet, took him out to dinner, brought a bottle of Jameson's, <laughs> gave him the script. By the time they flew back to California, he had read it and he was in. Oh <laughs> my God, I love that. Someone That's do that for me. Is. I would love it. So we didn't do any auditions for those parts. And Jane Leaves had she, a deal somewhere. She didn't have a deal. I she thought, okay. When we... They were pitching... To NBC, the role of Daphne. It seemed like everyone was trying to get her a job. Well, in a way, they were. She was on Murphy Brown. She was. They NBC said they said we don't know what what 
Daphne is yet. We're still. They, they went. Well, you know, there's a British actress we love named Jane Leaves who's been on Murphy Brown and Seinfeld. Right. And she's British. And they went. Oh, we like the idea of British. It gives it some definition because it didn't have any definition at that point. Oh, okay. She was just the healthcare worker. Oh, okay. So they didn't know. Yeah. So so, I called on Jane. Her availability and it's just her agent said she's got offers from three other pilots. So if you're interested, do something quickly. So they wrote a fast scene. I brought in Jane and three other actresses, including Cynthia Nixon. Oh, wow. wow. Pre, you know, Sex and the City. Uh, and two other British actresses. And I knew, I'd seen Cynthia do a play in New York, and I knew she could do British well. And Jane came in, and Jane was fantastic. And then we brought Kelsey over to also read with Jane when we realized she was our gal. Mm-hmm. And they went, yeah, let's, it's Jane that called NBC and went, well, we love her here, so she's approved. We didn't have to take her over there to audition. So that happened. Boom, boom, boom. And, it, and because we had to move fast, it was a blessing. Otherwise, if it didn't, I would have been dragging in, you know, dozens and dozens of actresses. Yeah. So. So, and, and at the same time, yeah. you know, and you're, you're very much known for um, comedies, television comedies. But you also cast My So-Called Life with all these people that became kind of iconic, or at least a few. I mean, you know, Claire Danes, Jared Leto, Wilson Cruz, um, and a very big departure from what like what you're known for doing. How'd that happen? It was a freakish job to get. I did not cast the pilot. Oh, you didn't? I, no, I didn't. Oh, okay. I didn't. Uh, Linda Lowy, who does all of Shonda Rhimes stuff, yes. found, found Claire Danes. Oh, amazing. And Mary and Jared Leto and Jared Leto. Wilson. No, no, she only did Claire Danes. Okay. Um, and sh- and um, Mary Goldberg cast the rest of the pilot. Okay. And then, but they didn't continue on with it. Um, I oh, was so friends. You did the series. I did the series. Ni- the I did nineteen episodes of the series, but not the pilot. Um, Richard Kramer, who is one of the writer producers on it, who I'm friends with to this day, recommended me to Winnie Holtzman. And I met her. At Who had St- done Wonder Years or something? Something, but in a yeah, minor yeah. way. She, yeah, you yeah. know, she's since written Wicked. Right. So. so yeah, she, yeah. Okay. She's a cabillionaire from that. I met still with her. Still minting money. She still gets checks. I I met with her, at you know, at a, at Stanley's Deli in the Valley, and I somehow got that job. Because I love, because I would bring up theater. All we did was mm. talk theater. Yeah. And that was my way in. And a lot of people weren't casting sitcoms or any shows out in Los Angeles with New York theater people. But Well, because it's just not their world and right. they weren't flying to but New York she, to do it. But she, but a lot of the, my so-called life people were very tied into Steppenwolf. Mm. You know, uh, you mm. know, it was, and, uh, so there was there was just a uh, it, it was just a theater based group of writer producers. And did you did you cast the pilot of News Radio or just once again I didn't cast the pilot, no. but I took it over and replaced two people from the pilot. I replaced Ray Romano with Joe Rogan, and I replaced way better for that role. Way better for that role. I mean, uh, yeah. Ray Romano is amazing, but... He's amazing, but it wasn't role. his part. And I replaced uh, Eva Joyce with Candy Alexander. 
for the pilot. And Kenny Alexander was such a good actress. She's great. She's great. I love her. And I did that show for a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't really a pleasant experience. It, they, it was a very oddly run show. It was badly run. Well, and you had, probably had Andy Dick uh, molesting people all over the place. Probably, <laughs> but you know, I mean, he. I mean, we were we were what a mess. Friendly. We were friendly. He's sort of a mess now, certainly. But it was a very odd show. The writers would convene at nine or ten at night and write all night long to suit the showrunner Paul Sims' schedule. And so oh, that you, sounds like a good atmosphere. So the people you hired the day before would show up and their part was cut or changed or the, the, the communication was so bad. It was it was just badly done. But right. NBC liked the show and kept it on for like seven years. Yeah, because it, it worked. It had about eight or nine time slots. And it worked everywhere they put it. It was Wings was that too. Mm. It was one of those shows that, we, that yeah, the audience would kind of just the show up. that's like that oh, now yeah. for NBC is Superstore. It's just it's a, it's a fun show and it, you can plug it in yeah. everywhere. People will be like, oh, this yeah. is on now. Okay, yeah, yeah, let's yeah. Watch this. So I was I was scanning through your credits just for some of the other um, yes. you know not you know legendary yeah. things. I noticed that you cast Jackie's back. I did cast Jackie's back. Which I didn't back. actually... I've seen clips of it. I mean, I lo- Robert Townsend, so great. And, so you know, crazy. obviously Jennifer Lewis. You Jennifer know, but Lewis. you got, like, everyone famous who's ever lived to be in that movie. Everybody called in favors, you know? <laughs> Everybody at a level higher than me. I mean, literally, <laughs> like, Bette Midler, Liza Minnelli, Dolly Parton, Chris Rock, Eva Marie St. Grace Slick. I know. How did you reach... Grace Slick, she lives on a mountain. I don't even she, remember. She's in hiding. But I, I really just facilitated <laughs> a lot of it. I cast many of the roles. David Hyde Pierce is in it. Yeah, Julie everybody, Haggerty. the writers, directors, producers, Jennifer, everybody called in favors for every part, and they just filled it with those people. Yeah, it was, and it was. I've like, seen clips of it. The clips I've seen look, look so much fun. It's I should really, see the whole thing. It's I, really I don't funny. Know why I have but I didn't. How did um, Modern Family happen? Yeah, so that was like the next thing. That was my next big thing. That was my next big thing. Um, Chris... And were you you doing casting director different things between the end of Frasier and... There was five years between the end of Frasier and Modern Family. Mm -hmm. In the middle, I did Ugly Betty for a season. Oh, right, yes. And then I moved to New York, unfortunately, which was devastating to me because it was such a fun job. It was one of the most fun shows I ever worked on. Oh, Ugly Betty. Amazing. Ugly Betty was a blast. Did you, it, no, but you didn't cast the beginning of that. I yeah. didn't cast the... No, but you I were casting Day to Day. Yes, or, yes. I did the second year of the series. And uh, loved it. And went, I, I bought another hit show again. And then it went away. So I was really upset. And then the, Chris Lloyd and uh, Steve Levitan, who created Modern Family which the original title is My American Family, um, out of the blue were like meeting casting directors for their pilot. And an mm-hmm. agent from Gersh, Jennifer Craig, my friend, called, you know, Chris and Steve, who I'd been working with for over 15 years. Right. Because they were both on Frasier and Wings. Mm, yeah. And, you know, Steve Levitan was a, a staff writer on Wings at the lowest level of the totem pole. And... I'd worked on 
eight projects with him prior to Modern Family over the years. I did other series, and, and Chris Lloyd, I'd known forever and did so much of his stuff. They were meeting other people, and I, she said, he, <laughs> I'm going to send you the script. It's so good. And I did, and I have to say, it's, I, I've never reacted to reading something like that before. To read something, I usually, if I go, if I'm not laughing out loud by the sixth page, mm-hmm. it's, I don't think it's for me. Those are the days where I could be selective and I had a lot to choose from. I didn't laugh out loud. My jaw was dropped for 42 pages of the most incredible comedy script I'd ever read. Yeah. It was irreverent in a way. It was so smart. It, it was just a brilliant you script. You think back to that pilot, you know, it's just like the tone of it. The, it, it really, it's very Here's smart. Here's the thing. We're, having funny. worked on Frasier and Cheers for 18 years, mm-hmm. I could really recognize good writing. Because I had worked on another 40 series and pilots that were a variety of Right, a quality and level. Exactly. So I really felt like I could identify great writing. Sure. It was amazing. And I read it, and I got in touch with Chris and Steve. I think I emailed them and say, you know, here you're meeting people. I read the script. It's incredible. If you feel it's a good fit, there's nothing I'd love more. So they called me in and we chatted for a few minutes and I got it. What was happening? Those they were meeting other people. Other people. What? Those poor other people. The people, the <laughs> studio, the casting executives at 20th were recommending other casting directors to them because right. I wasn't on their list of favorite people at, at that time. Right. So they were doing, you know, and they weren't beholden to me at all. So, but I thank God, got it, because it's the best job I've ever had. And I've had some great jobs. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I got that, and we we cast the pilot in 11 weeks, and every Chris and Steve really just wanted excellence. They didn't settle. I didn't settle. It was very challenging. It's a huge cast for a half-hour show. Really there were 10 series cast. regulars. Oh, yeah, There's more giant, now, because yeah. we've added more kids and all that. But it was, it was hard. It was really hard. We tested a lot of people. We looked. We couldn't find people till the eleventh hour. Was it? Hour. Had you been? What's kid? What was it like to cast the kids? The kids as main series regulars. Is that a different process at all? No. Or is it you're looking for the same thing and you kind of see it and? Well, w- the kids were not as difficult as the adults. I was, I, you know, you always try to, when you're putting together families, you try to have the kids seem like they come from those parents. Right. We didn't have the parents till the end. We didn't get Ty Burrell and Julie Bowen till days before we were going to shoot mm. the pilot. But I couldn't wait around. I had to see hundreds and hundreds of kids to get the best ones. The writing, even though the kids' parts are not that huge in the pilot, is very specific. So the kids could either do the material or they couldn't. Mm. And the roles of, you know, Alex and Luke and Manny, the kids we hired were all 10 or 11 years old. Mm-hmm. And, and I just saw all the kids and had them in abeyance so that once we had the parents, I could bring in the kids that matched. Right. That makes sense, yes. And Manny was a whole other thing. Manny I started looking for right at the beginning, really a hard part, to find this young kid who is 
a Lothario. I, I look sophisticated. So, yeah. yeah, sophisticated. I looked <laughs> at. I think I looked at a about a hundred and eighty Hispanic boys between the ages of eight and thirteen. Wow. And I brought eight of them to producers. There were only eight that were vaguely good enough. No one was great. No one, including Rico, who got the part. He was fine, but we had to really keep working with him even to get him to test for the part. There was one kid that was really good, but he was very slick and very Hollywood and wrong for the part. Mm-hmm. But he was he was experienced, but he he seemed like a kid actor. Right. So we took a chance on Rico, and in the first year he got more response and fan mail than anybody. Yeah. He was so he's, popular. He's really good. And he's really good, but at the beginning he was great. What about the little baby? Do you see a bunch of babies and then... Oh, the extras people cast the babies if they don't speak. And mm-hmm. we had twins in the pilot that were replaced <laughs> right away for the series. We used them for <coughs> two years, mm-hmm. and then they wanted the character of Lily to talk. Right. So in the third season, I had to find a four-year-old Asian. That sounds difficult. It was impossible. And, well, <laughs> and yet, but we, you know, I probably she's saw about really, ninety. She's good. Yeah, I saw about ninety little girls, mm-hmm. and we screen tested uh, three of them, and we had the twins. We gave them a shot mm-hmm. to come back in, but they hated being there. They uh, were never. They were one of the reasons we needed to replace them. They were not meant to do this. Yeah, they cried. They were, and the reason that Lily was so like deadpan all the time, they were exhausted from crying until they were mm. t- so tired that they were emotionless. That became the character. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> so we hired, we found That's Aubrey. <laughs> I know, right? But we found Aubrey. We've since added two other kids to the cast. You know, yeah, the younger one. And kids are very challenging. You just have to see, it's a numbers game. You have to right. see a lot of kids. Right. Yeah. But we found good kids for the original cast. And we were we had no idea that all those kids, including Haley, were going to live up to what they wrote. Right. They all turned out to be great. Not good, but great. I remember watching it when it very first came out. And it's hard to watch a show when the kids are bad actors. And watching that show, you're like, it all works. They're all great. That they, show is very dense. So much happens in mm-hmm. it. You know, it's like every, like the scripts have got to be maybe a little longer than most, most sitcom scripts. Maybe it seems like it. Cause there's just I, like, there's a lot. There, well, there's, the structure is there's three stories usually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one for each family, although they intermix, you know, different characters now. Um, so a lot goes on and it's all three stories have to be in the same time frame. There's a real structure to the show. Mm-hmm. So sometimes they come up with a story, but it can't be contained in that same time frame, so they save that story for another episode. Mm-hmm. And our mutual friend, Doug Buden, is appearing on... Recurring! His, his yeah. second, fact, second episode. It's coming up on uh, this, week. this week. I mean, this is now going to be in the Mr. past. Mr. Peterson. <laughs> but he's playing a teacher at Lily's school. Yes. The principal, maybe, at Lily's school. He's like the counselor. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right. So he gave the, the orientation in the first episode. He I saw did. That. He did. I will watch uh, this upcoming episode. Good. I haven't I, seen it yet. <laughs> he has, but I haven't. Um, 
well, you've, you're working. You're, you have right. enough to do. Right. Um, I like seeing it on the air instead of watching it. And TV. you're also working with another yeah. mutual friend Ooh. of ours, Abraham Higginbotham. That's right. Who I, I've known as long as I've known Doug, who I love. He's directing an episode this season. Oh, I love that. Yes, yeah, yeah. He actually just recently, by text, agreed to do the podcast. So yes. we'll, we'll see if that comes Amazing. true. I mean, he's the father of three. Yes. And he has a full-time gig over there at the Modern Families. Yes, and they work hard. I'll tell you. Oh, I know he works hard. Those writers. On, here's the thing. On shows that run for a long time, it's there's nothing except it being a blessing. But like most, there's blessings and curses. Right. The writers have such a hard job on a long-running show to come up with fresh ideas. And this... And they work long hours doing they it. They work long yeah, hours. it's almost at what, 200 up, It's episodes? hard when you start a new show coming up with fresh ideas mm-hmm. that you haven't seen done a million ways. What was so incredible about Modern Family and one of the keys of its success was it's the first family comedy that uses this mockumentary style. Yes. You know... The it was like The Office it. first, and then... But there's never been a family comedy that really did this. A little Burns and Allen, in a way, because George Burns would talk to the camera. Oh, wow. A bit. Well, not a lot of people reach back to that. No, that's how old I am. <laughs> but it gave old stories... They, they seemed to be seen through fresh eyes, because yeah. they, were, it, they were stylistically different. Mm-hmm. And it was sort of more revolutionary than I think the creators had imagined it was going to be. It just... It, it, it brought the family comedy. It was a fresh family comedy, which we haven't seen that in a long time. Yeah. So it... Um, but we've... Now, in our 10th season, the style isn't as fresh anymore. And we've used so many stories... And the relationships are the relationships, and it's hard to keep coming up with. Yeah, is this stuff. this is the last season, right? Or it's no, not, not necessarily. Okay, so there's there. no definitive. They haven't said anything. Right, right. I I think there's a good chance we might see a little more. Hmm. Okay, that's a little news. Um, <laughs> um, you heard it here first, folks. I mean, what, how, what an amazing career. I mean, lightning has struck for you again and again. I know. I mean, first TV show, Cheers. Then Frasier. Then Modern Family. And in between, all sorts of lovely, amazing things. You know, it's just really incredible. It, yeah, thank What you. do you... Well, it's just rare. It's, it's, it's totally it's, rare. It's, I, I am agog at all of it. I can't believe it still. And I'm grateful every day... And people are going, oh, you you know, of course, you so deserve it. Because I, uh, I always go, I'm so lucky. I can't believe it. And I'm sincere about that. I mean, it's so lucky for someone to get, like, one of these. Well, exactly. I, my career has really been a fluke to have landed on so many long-running shows. Yeah. And good and long-running shows. And really iconic. Yes. Amazing you know, like yeah. when when all of history the history of television, the yeah, I mean, like claimed shows from Frasier, which won years. how many best show most Emmys. nominated and wins ever, I and think. then and then Maybe. back to back to back with with Modern Family. Frasier and Modern Family hold the record of the most Emmys for both series. They're tied, and those are my shows. Yeah, Frasier had the record 
for most Emmy nominations until two years ago when Game of Thrones surpassed it. And outrageously, you only have the one Emmy, but you do have the Emmy. I have the Emmy. I have 14 nominations. Where do you keep your Emmy at? (laughs) Uh, I, I keep it at home. <laughs> he wears it as a butt plug. <laughs> Somehow it fits. It was like, wow, okay, wow. Um, what's next? Are you looking to, like, will there be another, like, you know, fluke 15 year I running think, I think you can show? I don't think you can forecast a fluke. Well, and of course not, but I'm wondering, like, do you feel like you look I kind of want to wind down or, or do you just want to keep another, working? I just want to keep working. Yeah. I really still love it. Summer stock, perhaps? What's a better job than what you have? Why not? Well, exactly. Keep, keep Gypsy. working. Gypsy. The tour of Gypsy. Oh, <laughs> I really still do love it. And, you know, every year I do a pilot, and those are so hard, and it's very. Oh my God, it, they're so challenging and so so stressful. Well, there's so much pressure. There's you know, so much like pressure. They, this, they're serving so many masters. Like, will it get picked up? And, it's and there's forever. so much on my shoulders. Yeah. Um, and yet I still love it. I love my job the most because I'm on a hit show that runs really smoothly. That's very, that's acclaimed, and I've had that my entire casting career. Yes, you have. So, so I'm very spoiled. Um, I I don't know. I love my time off when I have those few months hiatus, but it's hiatus. It's not unemployment. Right. Right. It's I'm I'm always I collect unemployment, but I always know I'm going back. And when Modern Family is over, as when Frasier was over, and I did bits and pieces of stuff. I did a pilot here, six episodes of that. Another failed pilot, another failed pilot, another yeah. failed pilot. Most of them fail. Right. You know, in the 10 years of Modern Family, I've only done one pilot that's gone to series, which was Superior Donuts. But I've done probably 13 pilots. And that was it, Tracy Let's Us Play. I mean, yes, that was, that's yes. great. It was great. It was a great, I loved it. Um, so, I, I mean, I'll keep doing it as long as people offer me stuff that I, and I still want to do it. You get a lot. I get a lot of time off anyway, so I don't need to like. You're not chomping. I'm not burnt out ever. I'm never burnt out because I get a lot of time off. Good. And I I really love it and feel very validated and it it's very it's a defining thing in my life. Sure. Well, and you're obviously very good at it. You've done very. I think I've figured it out. You figured it out. But and it's but it sounds like that. You figured it out so quickly, and you knew that you had. You I, know, like, I did you had this somehow. Thing like, Wait a minute, I know how to do this. That doesn't happen with everything, and I think it showed that it was meant to be. Like, right. like somehow I know how to do this innately. And I, when I first got that Cheers job, I didn't know how to cast a television show, but I knew good actors. Yeah. And that came out of my first conversation with the creators, that I knew good actors, and I figured out the rest. Yeah. I figured out... The, the contracts and the schedule and the all of it. Right. The important thing is you got to get the right yeah. actors. Yeah. I knew all who Francis Sternhagen is, was. And right. That's all they needed to know. Yes. Yeah. I would. I would have been horrible casting Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> well, like this is also before you were yes, born. Sure. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Have you ever even seen Cheers? I have seen it on okay. reruns. Good. But it's been a long time. Yeah. Good. Is oh, it I'm, hold up if you went if I, if I went? I think it does hold up. Yeah. yeah. 
Oh, Cheers is brilliant. Yeah. And I watched it when it was on. And I, I love that you cast Shelley Long in Modern Family. I do too. Who I recently saw at the Palace, Pacific Palisades Gelson's making jokes on the line for the, the cashier and to this guy behind her who was like oblivious. And and then she and then I laughed at the joke. She was like, "Good, I'm not crazy." Like I. <laughs> did you see Modern Family this past week? By any chance? I didn't. Is she on it? Dead. Oh, she died. She died in the episode. <gasps> oh no! Why? What? Okay. Was she in the episode that she died in? Well, spoiler. She didn't get another check. <laughs> she did get a check. She, she did work on the episode. Okay, good. As, did, as a corpse, perhaps. Not a corpse, but voiceovers and you do see her visually in a certain way I mean Shelley Long in 1982 but like before you were working with her but then later I mean brilliant brilliant, brilliant. comic actress beautiful woman yeah. just you know and uh, I just yeah. love to see her continue I loved, to work and I loved hiring her for Modern Family she was a great fit you know she really seemed she looked really like she was Julie Bones mother and she's funny she's super funny she was iconic in a way that Ed O'Neill is, was iconic, yeah. so there was a balance there. We offered that part of their mother and Ed O'Neill's ex-wife to Diane Weist. We weren't on the air yet, so she just turned it down. After the show premiered, and she had her agent call and said, I made a big mistake. <laughs> I really should have taken that part. I love the show. If mm. anything ever comes up, and it never has, unfortunately. It's and now she's, she's on another show. She's not easy to cast. No, but she would have been great in that part. Of course, but I'm glad you cast Shelley Long. Yeah, I am too. I just enjoyed seeing her recently. She was, oh, she yeah. was oh, a good. treat. Yes. Um, but thank you for coming on this little yes. enterprise. Thank, thank you, you for so putting much. up with our technical difficulties at the beginning. Nightmare! Um, <laughs> we did have a little bit of a nightmare. This was the worst but... technical beginning that we've ever had. And we chose Jeff Greenberg to do it with. So. Because Apple no longer puts USB ports on their laptop. Uh, let's not bore crazy, people, but, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> Jeff, thank you so much. Jeff, thank My you. Pleasure. Honestly, it's just such a pleasure to share your story with I'm us. I'm honored to have, I would say, I, to be asked and to occupy this chair to drink your rosé. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in to another episode of This Is Happening. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye.